My name is Danielle DeVoe, and today my guest is Coral Andrews, who you all know as a local radio host and journalist, and of course, the author of the recently released The Back Door, um, which you can get at Wordsworth Books if you still don't have a copy. And in that book, Coral's talking all about uh, a particular scene that happened in a dark, sometimes dank space on Victoria Street. Um, and particularly around sort of the punk and new wave music scenes, although there's a bunch of things happening, um, as you'll find when you look at the book. Coral, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, my pleasure. One of the things that uh, I think is interesting about documenting scenes is that it's actually really hard to do. When you're participating in the scene, you don't necessarily understand that it's a scene. You kind of need like the the um, you, you need to have retrospection to look back and say, oh, that space was actually really, really important because now I can see everything that, that came out of it. But because of that, a lot of the history of scenes is lost. You know, not every scene ends up getting documented because people don't have the the, the foresight to to keep track of things, to keep the archives going. And of course, you've been involved in the cultural scene for in in this region for decades. So what was it about this moment in history, this space that made you think, I have to document it and I have to document it right now in this book? Well, I, w this wasn't my, I was writing a different book. I was writing an interview book. And then the owner's son, I told him, okay, I'm writing a book. Like we've known each other. I've known him since he's a kid. Now he's a famous DJ, DJ Check. But um, a couple of years ago, we, he was visiting his dad, the, the owner of the Metro in the back door, Milan Razdalek. And I said, I'm writing a book. And he said, oh, well, don't write an interview book. There's only one book you can write about, write about the effing back door. And I thought, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe I could. And, um, you know, I had a bunch of diaries and I, I was writing for the Waterloo Chronicle back then and Pulse magazine and Ed magazine and all these alternative magazines and stuff. And I still had all those articles. So I thought, well, maybe I could do this. And now was, you know, back then there was no social media or anything like that. I thought, well, maybe I can find these people via Facebook. Like some of the musicians that played down there, the people I used to hang out down there. And it, it took me a while to compile everything, but that's, that's what I did. And the scene sort of, the puzzle sort of put itself together and, there was a photographer, Patrick Wye. He's well known in this area. He's moved out west now, but he always had a fascination with scenes. So he was taking, he was documenting, you know, he was taking pictures with his camera back then. And there weren't that many people um, with with cameras downstairs, a few, but not like today. Like I sometimes think, thank God there weren't cell phones back then because of some of the stuff I wore down there. Oh my God. But, uh, you know, it was a scene and it wasn't just me dressing up. It was everybody. Like there were, there were a group of guys called the Sexy Six who would dress as everything. Like they started off dressing as the Sex Pistols and then they moved on to Duran Duran, the New Romantics, and then Adam and the Ants and then the Stray Cats and the girls too. There was one girl that looked like Sue Catwoman from, you know, the great rock and roll swindle. And um, a lot the girls were all like vintage clothes and really cool shoes. And they put everything together with like lots of rock and roll, like lots of new age punk bat badges and blazers and things. And their hair was cramped and it. It was wild. We used to call it. And a couple of people have called, have told me this too, that it was like the studio 54 of Kitchener, but it was the first punk bar, the first disco, the first comedy bar, and probably like we did jazz in the early 90s when there wasn't that much jazz around here at all. 
So it, you know, it had so many different incarnations that a lot of these incarnations were first because it started in the mid 70s. This is one of the things that really comes across in your book. And, and you know, when people think about cultural scenes and kind of layman's terms, you think, well, you know, if we're talking about a music scene, we're really talking about the music. Or if we're talking about a contemporary visual art scene, we're talking about art. But the the individual sort of thing can't exist on its own. It's not enough to have a punk band playing. There's all these other artistic or creative endeavors that surround it. It's not a scene if it also doesn't have people doing punk things and dressing in punk ways and and creating posters and doing other kinds of interventions. Yeah. But the scene is more than just one thing. It can't just be music. It can't just be art. No, it was, you know, it was the people that were down there. You're right. We didn't, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. So uh, my friend Lindsay Stewart had all the posters. He kept them all. We would put them, we would put them up all over town. I remember doing it, you know, it's like, okay, I brought in Ed the Sock, believe it or not, um, in the early 90s, one of his first gigs out of Toronto. And uh, I just put up handbills all over all over town. I made them myself. And you just put them in all the stores or, you know, wherever you think people might be interested that might want to come down and see the show. And that doesn't happen now. Everybody does everything on Facebook. But back then, we had some pretty cool posters and all the cut and paste stuff. Yeah, it was a whole whole different scene back then. We were a community for sure. A community of like the land of the misfit toys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the the that documentary evidence is so important because I one of the the problems with these kind of retrospectives is the challenges of memory that you know, our memories aren't great and we fill in gaps by making things up or moving things around. And so when you're when you're writing a book documenting people's memories, were there any times where there were things that you had completely forgotten or that you had remembered differently than than one of your interview subjects kind of was able to say like, no, that's not what happened, Coral. Don't you remember it was this? Oh, well, I was for some stupid reason. I decided to keep notes. Um, we had this little thing called the guiding schnitzel which was originally going to be an autograph book because uh, Milan and his partner, Carla Kubank were always at Lulu. So they would say, well, we have a schnitzel house. So um, people would come in for dinner because the restaurant's over 60 years old. It's still going. So we'd have people like Martha, Martha Reeves and Martha, the Vandellas show up or Brenda Lee. If they were in town, the word got out. The food was really good. All the blues guys would show up too, because they like pigtails. So originally it started off as an autograph book. And then I thought, you know what? I was writing for a bunch of magazines back then. I just, just to keep my, or a, a, um, like alternative newspapers and stuff like that, just to keep my chops up, I'm going to write about things going on upstairs and downstairs. So I, I thought I wrote one of these things. And it turns out that Milan's daughter, Katrina, uh, had kept all the guiding schnitzels. It turns out I had written three. So I wrote, wrote about everything going on upstairs and downstairs for seven years. So when people said, oh, I remember this, blah, blah, blah. I go, no, that's wrong. It's written in the guiding schnitzel. It happened like this. So that was awesome. That was I was really able to do detailed things about things that were going on downstairs um, from, you know, the great flood of 1981 or the great flood of 1986 to some of the bands that played down there. Mm -hmm. So that was a godsend. That was like a that was like my holy grail all through the book. So that was fun. 
Well, and that's one of the other things that really comes across in the book is how much local media there was. I mean, you were, were, as you say, you were, you were writing a lot in a lot of different places. And I mean, in the digital age, we've lost a lot of local Mm -hmm. community media, you know, there's, there are a few of you still doing work, documenting what's happening, but it's, it's nothing like what it was earlier in your career. So, you know, what were some of the, you know, can you talk about some of those early days as like an arts journalist, you know, what were the, what were some of the opportunities you had? What were the publications that were circulating? Um, I, let me think here. Well, I I was writing for imprint at the university of Waterloo. And then I took those articles and I, I was also writing for FM times through CKMS, the radio stations, especially CKMS was closely connected to the back door because we brought a lot of, uh, there were a lot of shows happening at CKMS and um, some DJs from CKMS were involved in the back door. So they were bringing in all these cool alternative bands, especially from the Queen Street scene. So I was writing for FM Times and Imprint. And then I took those articles and made them into, you know, put them into a, like tear sheets and portfolios and started sending those to other magazines. So in 1988, I was writing for the music scene, which is now Words and Music, and Graffiti, which was this, you know, crazy magazine of Toronto that I think you could get in Montreal. So I was writing from national, some national publications, some regional publications. So Passion Magazine was out of Guelph. Spare Time was a monthly out of Guelph. Um, the Waterloo Chronicle, and at actually one point Cambridge Times, and I was just freelancing and you didn't, I mean, the money was, pff, forget, there was, I, you didn't do it for the money, you did it for the exposure. There's a lot of going on, a, a lot going on around here. And I was, I just thought, well, how come nobody's writing about this? Like there was a band that played downstairs called Excessive Rancidity in 1984, I think. They opened up for an English industrial band called Blurt. And my editor at the Water Chronicle said, what are you talking about? I went, there's a band called Excessive Rancidity. They make nothing but industrial. They're a noise band. They're, you know, performance artists. He goes, I don't believe you. So I wrote a story about a show that they did at the back door. And we got one picture on the front cover of the actual newspaper. And then the entertainment page was, it was a full page on Excessive Rancidity. And the lead singer was wearing a mini kilt and fishnet stockings and playing the saxophone. And his name was Jimmy Whitelip. So, you know, I, there was, I, I don't even think the word alternative even existed back then, but I started writing stuff for the Chronicle, the entertainment section. And it went, it kind of, it went from there. And even having that, that content available, I mean, you know, I think many, the way that the scenes, scenes are being documented now is, you know, every venue has its own social media and it really just promotes what yeah. is happening at it, its own venue, but it's not there's nothing that doesn't coalesce around anything. Whereas the, the local media, when you were working, that local media supported the scene. It really, it documented, yeah, it not only did. documented it, but it really, it, it it solidified it. And, and that, you know, you're fighting the good fight still to this day, Coral, but you know, I'll say <laughs> yeah, how- no, it's video. the other thing is I wrote for nightlife for the record for five years. So I got to write about stuff that was at the boathouse and starlight and Jane Bond every once in a while which was cool because that was my job it's like find like it didn't matter I did all genres of bands I did everything from you know um, speed metal punk or whatever or grunge metal punk or something like that 
to folk music, um, you know, David Francie at the at the Princess, or um, the Hawkeyes at Jane Bond, or and the Hawkeyes, actually the Hawkeyes show. I wrote about the Hawkeyes, and that story got picked up by the Toronto Star. So that was kind of cool because you know the Star owns, um, Tor Star owns the record, and that was my first time getting picked up by the Toronto Star. So the band was ecstatic, uh, you know. So that was cool. Um, there is there was a scene like the Starlight's gone, mm -hmm. but there's a Jane Bond, and it looks like Sugar Run is doing some cool stuff as well. And the Sugar Run reminds me a lot of the back door because it's an underground bar. And it, you don't you and then you have to go down a stairs down a stairway you have to go through a back alley through a side door there's a password so it's a little like the back door I've been down there for a while but they there seems to be a really cool scene there um, but yeah um, these days when I'm documenting it's shooting video and um, you know I'll, I'll do a show at the Registry Theater and I'll shoot a little bit of each artist and that's how I'm covering events because I'm not writing right now anywhere. I'm just mm -hmm. doing the radio show. So I'm hoping to write again. I was writing for Samaritan Magazine out of Toronto, but I'm writing a book, so I really don't need to be, you know, I writing for anybody else right now. And the record, you know, they I got let go of the, from the record in 2020 in COVID. There's, you know, no work. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the, you know, you've only got so many words to put on pages, so you have to be strategic. 500, yeah, 500. <laughs> it's all about metrics, so. <laughs> How many people see your stuff online? Uh, yeah, it's all part and parcel, I guess. So, I mean, you talk about the back door. What are some of your other favorite Kitchener venues that that uh, from your from your time on the beat? Oh boy! Well, I used to love the Starlight. Mm. Um, I let me think. Who did I interview there? Oh, Jay Maskus from Dinosaur Jr. That was a strange interview. It didn't last long, about seven minutes, something like that. That was a that was an interesting night. Um, I just like the whole vibe of that place. And the Mahones were there. That's my favorite Canadian Celtic punk band. So I like the Starlight. I like Jane Bond. I love the Boathouse. Now I was at the Boathouse when Kevin Doyle had it. And he made it up. Like, I re I remember, like, it was a landmark venue because I remember interviewing Carol Pope all these years later. And um, she goes, well, I'm doing an acoustic unplugged thing at a place called a boathouse. What is that? And I went, well, you're going to love it. It's in a park. It's on a lake. Um, you know, she'd never been there before. And people play there. Um, ben Kaplan, um, like, all kinds of people played there, all kinds of genres of music. And once they played there, they always wanted to come back. And it was a cool independent scene there. There was an open mic night there. Um, there was a, on Wednesday nights, they had kind of this jug jug music night. Um, I was there to see the vaudevillian when he was just starting out. And I was there with a guy named Dave Richmond, who's a friend of the family who originally was with Manfred Mann, an English band, and then moved from Man for Man to play with the John Barry Orchestra. So we're talking, you know, James Bond type music. Um, and his son, Chris, was there with him. And Chris is in film and works works with uh, Snow Patrol um, in video stuff. And they were there on this Wednesday night. There weren't that many people there, but they, you know, they saw Brendan James Stevens or AKA the Vaudevillian and went, oh, my God, this is such a cool scene here. Like, we don't have this in England. He should really come to Europe and play. Um, so, I mean, Kevin brought in some interesting acts, that's for sure. And then um, then Mark Forwell took it over. 
And that was interesting too, because they had, you know, they had special events happening there. It's just a very unusual venue. And now it's about to open again, but we'll see what's going to happen next. Like I'm kind of, I always sit back and I go, okay, one venue closes, another one opens. So right now the museum, the museum is becoming a key venue because they're doing this thing called DTK Live um, until April, where they're bringing in all kinds of acts to the big space. So they just had Begonia. They're bringing in Alicia Brilla and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of cool things. And that's on a Thursday night from eight till like, I think the doors open at eight, eight till 10 or seven to nine or something like that. And it's free, but you've got to register to get in. And then the lounge below the, the lounge above it used to be the voodoo lounge. We've had some stuff going on there. Cause I was hosting this show called reverberations unplugged. And this was local artists and regional artists. And it was, um, we did this over a couple of months and then we had the public choose their 10 favorites and then, then from there, choose five out of the 10. And those five were at a showcase for new North by Northeast music at the Alamo Combo um, last year. So that's cool. There's a, there's a, there's a cool scene here. You just have to like, you just have to find it. And like, there's some, there's some great, um, some great singer songwriters coming out of this area as well that I like to use for my radio feature top track. Um, so those are like the the, the boathouse, the museum, um, Jane Bond, the Princess Cinemas does some really cool things as well. Like they bring in live music and they have all these really cool events happening. Um, so, and, and there's a, actually there's an app. Here's how technology helps. There's an app called Social Kindred that you can put on your phone. It'll tell you everybody is playing at the bars every weekend right so rich uncle brings in rich uncle's cool too because that's a cool live music venue and they they're bringing in people as well on the weekends not for like four hours a night it's like two hours or something like that but there's definitely a scene going here um it's just i guess you don't like the papers aren't really writing a lot about it now it's the people that go there with their phones and then video put post videos on Facebook. So they're kind of covering the scene, which is wild. I mean, I do too, but sometimes if I'm doing a, if I'm at an event, like a jazz festival, or the blues festival, I see like a hundred phones out. So then I wait until nobody has their phones out and then I do a video. So it's different. Like it's, it's weird now being in the media. It's, it's bizarre. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone's got a, a pretty good production device in their pocket. Yeah, no kidding. Grab. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so I was wondering, you know, one of the appeal of cultural scenes, and you capture this really well in your book, um, is that they're emerging from subcultures and that they're not always comfortable or pretty. So, you know, you talk about broken toilets and bad smells and dark mm -hmm. spaces, um, and but these become places of creativity they're sort of they, they're important for the participants and some of that grittiness is is part of it and also the the cost you know like they're not it's not ten dollar pints it's like like reasonably priced drinks in a kind of dingy space but there's unique stuff happening there right do people have tolerance for that kind of of thing now or is, are we beyond the point of being able to have that kind of scene like do we need comfortable venues with you know Good, good health inspection results and and all the rest. Yeah, I don't know. 
I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, the I mean the back door has been compared to CBGB's more than once. That place in New York, right, which was iconic, that brought in Blondie and Talking Heads and Patti Smith. Uh, but the washrooms were pathetic. like they were terrible. You had to go downstairs, and there was doors off the stalls. So I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of places in Toronto that um, I've been to where it, it's been kind of. Ugh. The washrooms are terrible down here, but I, I don't think I don't think that people go for the washrooms. I think they go for the scene and kind of put up with it. And I'm not sure if there's a place around here that's that bad anymore. So hard to say. And it depends what age group it is, too. And I don't think young people care. I think people my age might. It's like, oh, you're kidding. I got to go use the washroom. I'll go somewhere else to a coffee place or something like that. So I think it depends. But, I, you know, I can't think of... Um, and yeah, the drinks, I mean, boy, going out for an evening is expensive. Back then, you know, it was, a, we had, well, if you read the book, we didn't have much down at the bar. Now, one night we just had Black Label and Black Russians. Take your pick. You talked a bit about the, the state of the music industry already and what it was like being a young journalist. Um, one thing that I'd like to maybe end off on is this this persistent issue of the perception of the region by people who live here and also by people outside. So I still, to this day, people are moving to the region. So someone says, oh, my cousin's moving to the region. Can I put you in touch so they can find out? And always, always, they always get this question. Is there anything to do there? My impression is that there isn't and that I have to go to Toronto for all of my arts and culture and entertainment, that there oh, isn't black. anything. That, that people still say this. People still ask this. They still say this. Oh, do you boy. still hear this? Like, how how do you respond to people when they when they they bring up the age old, nothing's happening in, in KW? You got to look around, you know, give yourself a walk downtown, check out the scene. Oh, my God. And I'm talking theater and music. Um, theater. The empty space, we've they've been they were just like the chrono critics rave about their work. So it's almost like you have to leave town uh to make a name for yourself and then come back again. It's so weird. But yeah, there's lots of stuff going on. Like there's just read all the stuff on social media, what's happening, all the events and stuff like that. You've got to go find find the scene. It's not gonna to come to you. You gotta go find it and find people that are connected to it. And sometimes I mean, we did this with the back door. Sometimes if you build a scene, if you believe in it enough, people will come and they don't care what night of the, you know, what what um, night of the week it is. Like Begonia last night at the museum, I'm sure it was packed and the weather was terrible, but I'm sure there were a lot of people there because, you know, they wanted to see her. It's a scene there. It's a cool room. It's a cool vibe. And people like that. Um, Kitchener's kind of a novelty town for that kind of stuff. When something new opens up, everybody's there like, whoa, look at this. Oh, wow. Theater-wise, KW Little Theater's been around here for a long time. Empty Space, Lost and Found, Greenlight Arts. Greenlight Arts does amazing work, really well-received, out of town. They're right downtown of the Conrad Center. The Registry Theater does amazing stuff. You know, um, Lawrence is bringing in arts and music all the time. He has a local artist series and recently had Ben Rollo and Friends, which was amazing. He had a guy named Kevin Bright there who was... You know, June, like all these people are all acclaimed musicians, singers, songwriters, and their tickets are reasonable. But there are some really cool things going on around here. And I don't think you have to go to Toronto all the time to find entertainment. And sometimes the center and the square will bring in, they're starting to bring in more stuff as well. 
So we've got a scene happening here. You don't necessarily have to go to Toronto to find it. That's just my opinion, though. People go, I don't know about that. But I I really do think there is a scene happening here. And, and it's um it's getting it's getting exciting because I think you're gonna find as one venue closes, usually other ones open. So we'll see what happens in the next year. Like I said, I kind of sit back and watch. Okay, they just closed. Like Descendants is closed and Lana's Lounge is closing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for these people to sustain with such high rents. But then other people come in, you know, and they're and they go, Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna start a scene, we're gonna do this. So I'm I'm optimistic. You know, there's some there's some cool things going on around here. There still needs to be more, but I think the word needs to get out more. I don't think enough people are connected. They don't really know what's going on. But the best thing to do is just take a walk, walk by the bars, find out, you know, go up to go uptown Waterloo, go downtown Kitchener. Downtown Kitchener is different because we've got more downtowners in the bars and things like that. And and uh, uptown Waterloo is student driven. I think all the bars there are inhabited by students. Just a that's sort of a um, or just something I've noticed actually that when I, if I'm in Waterloo for the night, there's students everywhere, you know, all the bars and the prohibition and the, and then downtown it's, it's elements elements has opened up again and it's bringing in some cool bands. Like uh, they, and another place called the hub. This is another thing, the hub beside Bobby O'Brien's last night, Benjamin Soundclash was there. So we've got some people that are, you know, um, are trying to do something in Kitchener. So that's kind of neat. So I'm curious to see what the hub is going to do next, what the boathouse will become, because I've heard they're going to have live music, but we'll we'll see if it's going to be people relegated in a corner just playing acoustic unplugged, or if they're going to bring in, you know, um, really cool Canadian bands, because we have so much, we have so much great music in this area. I'm always finding more with Top Track, the the, um, show that I do on CKWR. So back in the day, and this is in the book, we were part of a chain. There was Kitchener, Guelph, Hamilton, and Toronto. So an artist would come here, if it was a famous artist like Fred Frith or something like that, a skeleton crew, or they would go, okay, um, we should get four dates. It'll make make it worth our while to stay up here. But now it's like one night only, um, which is is difficult. But back then, people would, you know, they would get a visa to come up here and hang out for five days and do five dates at bars. And that's how we got Blurt to the back door there. That's Ted Milton. And they're a quite famous industrial English band. And my friends had gone to see them in Toronto um, at the Isabella, Hotel Isabella. I used to bring in concerts and said, hey, how much would it cost to bring you here? And that's how they got them here. And it was packed that night. I've never seen so many people in the back door before. Um, but I, I, you know, I think, I think there's, I think there's a scene going on and I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious to see what's going to happen next. Cause I think you'll see more venues open. I just mm-hmm. have that feeling. I don't know why, but I do, I just sense it. Yeah. Well, when you go, you know, the, um, the museum show, I was at the Danny Michelle one that sold out in okay. like half a second. And, you know, and you see like they're the people want to go see live music. I mean, they want to get out there and go and and enjoy it. And so if there's demand, like surely there will be um, uh, venues that will be opening to meet that demand. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Coral. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Danielle. 
My guest today is Coral Andrews, who just released The Back Door, which is a great documentation of a crazy scene that was happening in Kitchener. Uh, you can also catch Coral on CKWR during the afternoon drive from 2 to 6, where she's uh, you know, fighting the good fight and promoting local cultural scenes on her show every day.